5. Food during the heavy rains, just outside the city, a large area is taken up with grave mounds common with nearly every Chinese city. Mr. McIntyre and Mr. Herbert, who was passing through Suifu en route for Tachian Lutetium, where he is now working, showed me around the city one afternoon, and one could see everything typical of the social life of 2000 years ago. The same narrow lanes succeed each other and the conviction is gradually impressed upon the mind that such is the general trend of the character of the city and its people. There were the same busy mechanics, barbers, traders, wayside cooks, traveling fortune tellers, and lusty coolies, the wag doctor, the bane of the gullible, was there to drive his iniquitous living, now and then the scene's monotony was disturbed by the presence of the chair and the retinue of a city mandarin, yet with all the hurry and din. The hurrying and the scurrying and doing and driving for making money. Seldom was there an accident or interruption of good nature. There was the same romance in the streets that one reads of at school so much alike and yet so different from what one meets in the Chinese places at the coast or in Hong Kong or Singapore. In Suifu, more than in any other town in western China which I visited, had the native artist seemed to have lavished his ingenuity on the street signboards. Their calligraphy gave the most humorous intimation of the superiority of the wares on sale, many of them contained some fictitious emblem, adopted as the name of the shop, similar to the practice adopted in London two centuries ago, and so common now in the straight settlements, where bankrupts are allowed considerable more freedom than would be possible if fictitious registration were not allowed, I refer to the registration of partnerships, footnotes, footnote G, I inspected the railway at Ichang in December. 1910, and found that a remarkable scheme was making very creditable progress. Around the main station center there was an air of bustle and excitement. Some 20.000 coolies were in employment there. All the buildings and equipment bore evidences of thoroughness, and the scheme seemed to be going on well. But in January of this year 1911 a meeting was held at Chentiu, the proposed destination of the line and the gentry then decided that as nothing was being done at that end the company should be requested to stop work at each arm, and start laying the line from Chentiu. At the other end, all the money will be spent, they cried, and we shall get nothing up this end. If the money ran out and left the central portion of the line incomplete, it did not matter so long as each city had something for its money. EJD footnote I, this should not be taken to apply to the Fusong everywhere. I have found them to be the most useful on other occasions, but the above was written at Luchao as my experience of that particular day. EJD Fourth Journey, Sui Fu to Jiao Tong Fu Lao W A Tan, Chapter VII, Chinese and Simplicity of Speech, Author and His Caravan Stopped, Advice to Travelers, Farewell to Sui Fu, The Postal Service and Tribute to IPO Rushing the Stages, Details of Journey, Description of Road to Jiao Tong Fu, Coolies pay. My boy steals vegetables. Remarks on roads and railways. The real opening of China. How the foreigner will win the confidence of the Chinese. Distances and their variability. Calculations uprooted. Author in a dilemma. The scenery. Hard going. A wayside toilet. And some embarrassment. Filth inseparable from Chinese humanity. About Chinese inns. Typewriter causes some fun. Soldiers guard my doorway. Man's own inner room. 140 li in a day. Grandeur and solitude. Wisdom of traveling alone. Cooley nearly cuts his toe off. Street scene at Puerto. The dying Cooley. A manacled prisoner. Entertained by mandarins. 
out plans do not work out. He who would make most abundant excuses for the Chinese could not say that he is simple in his speech. That speech is the chief revelation of the mind, the first visible form that it takes, is undoubtedly true, as the thought. So the speech, all social relations with us have their roots in mutual trust, and this trust is maintained by each man's sincerity of thought and speech. Apparently not so in China. There is so much craft, so much diplomacy, so much subtle ledger domain that, if he chooses, the Chinese may give you no end of trouble to inform yourself on the simplest subject. The Chinese, like so many cavillers and calumniators, all glib of tongue, who know better than any nation on earth how to turn voice and pen to account, have taken the utmost advantage of extended means of circulating thought, with the result that an Englishman such as myself, even were I a deep scholar of their language, would have the greatest difficulty in getting at the truth about their own affairs. As I was going out of Suifu my caravan and myself were delayed by some fellow, who held the attention of my men for a full quarter of an hour. I listened, understanding nothing, after another five minutes, by which time the conversation had assumed what I considered dangerous proportions. Having the safety of my boy at heart, I asked, Tongue, what is it? Half a second, he replied having ordered this phrase from the gunboat men down the river. He did not, however, take his eyes from the man with whom he was holding the conversation. He then dived into my food basket, wrenched off the top of a tin, and pulled therefrom two beautifully marked live pigeons, which flapped their wings helplessly to get away, and resumed the conversation. Talk waxed furious. The birds were placed by the side of the road, and tongue, now white with seeming rage threatened to hit the man, it turned out that the plaintiff was the seller of the birds, and that tongue had got them to cheap, that man no say they, he think he you, master, have got plenty money, he gone all same rogue, I know gone fool, I know, I know, as the cover of the food basket was closed down I noticed a cooked fowl, two live pheasants with their legs tied together, a pair of my own muddy boots, a pair of dancing pumps, and a dirty collar, all in addition to my little luxuries and the two pigeons aforesaid. Reader, if thou wouldst travel in China, peep not into thy HOH Shilantiasi if thou wouldst feed well. Tongue, laughing derisively, waved fond and fantastic salutations to the disappointed vendor of pigeons, and moved backwards on tiptoe till he could see him no more, then we went noiselessly down a steep incline out into an open space of distracted and disheveled beauty on our way to Fu. From Chungkin I had stuck to the regular stages, I had done no wrestling, but I decided to rush it to Jiaotong if I could, as the reports I heard about being overtaken by the rains in Yunnan were rather disquieting, I had taken to Suifu three times as long as the regular mail time, the service of which is excellent, Chungkin has no less than six local deliveries daily, thus eliminating delays after the delivery of the mails, and a daily service to the coast has also been established. A fast overland service to Wanxian now exists, by which the coast mails are transmitted between that port and Chongqing in the hitherto unheard of time of today's a traveler considers himself fortunate if he covers the same distance in eight days. There are fast daily services to Luchao 380 li distant in one day, Suifu 655 li in two days, Hokuf 180 li in one night, and Chentiu 1.020 li in three days. It is creditable to the Chinese Imperial Post Office that a letter posted at Suifu will be delivered in Great Britain in a month's time. It was a dull, chilly morning that I left Suifu, 
leading my little procession through the city on my way to Anpion, which was to be reached before sundown. My coolies probably owing to having derived more pecuniary advantage than they expected during the journey from Chongqing decided to re-engage, and promised to complete the 14-day tramp to Jiaotongfu, 290 miles distant, if weather permitted, in 11 days. We were to travel by the following stages, length of height above stage C first day and by a 90 li second day Huan Chiang 55 li third day Fan I H Xu and 70 li fourth day Tondio 70 li fifth day Lao W8 on 140 li 1.140 feet sixth day tail. Shaquan 60 li 4.000 feet seventh day Chi li Pu 60 li 1.900 feet eighth day Tawan TSI 70 li ninth day Taquan Tin 70 li 3.700 feet tenth day Wu Chai 60 li 7.000 feet eleventh day Jiao Tong Fu 100 li 6.400 feet. I knew that I was in for a very hard journey. The nature of the country as far as Tondio, 10 li this side of which the Sichuan border is reached is not exhausting, although the traveler is offered some rough and wild climbing, the next day's stage, to Lao W.A. Tan, is miserably bad, at certain places it is cut out of the rock, at others it runs in the bed of the river, which is dotted everywhere with roaring rapids as we are ascending very quickly, and when the water is high these roads are submerged and often impassable, in some places it was a six-inch path along the mountain slope, with a gradient of from 60 to 70 degrees, and landslips and rains are ever changing the path. Lao W.A. Tan is the most important point on the route. One of the largest customs stations in the province of Yunnan is here situated at the east end of the one-span suspension bridge, about 150 feet in length. No ponies carrying loads are allowed to cross the bridge, the roads east of this being unfit for beasts of burden. There is then a fearful climb to a place called Tao Shakwan, a stage of only 60 li. The reader should not mentally reduce this to English miles, for the march was more like 50 miles than 30. If we consider the physical exertion required to scale the treacherous roads, over a broad, zigzagging, roughly paved road, said to have no less than 98 curves from bottom to top, we ascend for 30 li, and then descend for the remainder of the journey through a narrow defile along the northern bank of the river the opposite side being a vertical sheet of rock rising to at least a thousand feet sheer up, very similar to the gorges of the Mekong at the western end of the province, which I crossed in due course, to Chiliku, high up on the mountain banks, the first 25 li is by the river, at the halfway place a fearful ascent is experienced, the most notable precipice on the route between Suifu and Yuanmanfu, up a broad zigzag path and as I sat at dinner I could see neither top nor bottom owing to the overhanging masses of rock, this is after having negotiated an ascent quite as steep, but smaller, to Takwanshian a few natural obstacles occur, although the road is always high up on the hillsides, I crossed a miserable suspension bridge of two spans, the southern span is about 30 feet, the northern span 80 feet, the center is supported by a buttress of splendid blocks of squared stone, resting on the rock in the bed of the river, one side being considerably worn away by the action of the water, the longer span was hung very slack, the woodwork forming the pathway was not too safe, and the general shaky appearance was particularly uninviting, from Taquanshian to Wu is steady pulling, once in an opening in the hill we passed along and then ascended an exceedingly steep spur on one side of a narrow and very deep natural amphitheater, formed by surrounding mountains, we then came to a lagoon, 
and eventually the brow of the hill was reached. Thus the Wuchai Valley is arrived at, where, owing to a collection of water, the road is often impassable to man and beast. Often during the rainy season there is a lagoon of mud or water formed by the drainage from the mountains, which finds no escape but by percolating through the earth and rock to a valley on the east of, and below, the mountains forming the eastern boundary of the Wuchai Valley. Tujautong is fairly level going, considering the road. It was not unnatural that my men gibbed a little at the eleven-day accomplishment. I had a long parley with them, however, and agreed to reward them to the extent of one thousand cash among the three if they did it. Their pay for the journey, over admittedly some of the worst roads in the empire, was to be four hundred cash per man as before, with three hundred and thirty-three cash extra if the rain did not prevent them from getting in in eleven days. They were in good spirits, and so was I as we walked along the river bank, where the poppy was to be seen in full flower, and the unending beds of rape alternated with peas and beans and tobacco. Tom would persist in stealing the peas and beans to feed me on, and for the life of me I could not get him to see that he should not do this sort of thing. But how continually one was impressed with the great need of roads in western China, it is natural that, walking the whole distance, I should notice this more than other travelers have done, and, to my mind, roads in this part of the country rank in importance before the railways, to the foreign mind it is more to the interests of China that railways should be well and serviceably built than that the money should be squandered to no purpose, if the railway has rails, then in China it can be called a railway, and China is satisfied, so with the roads, if there is any passage at all, then the Chinese call it a road and China is satisfied, as one meanders through the country, watching a people who are equaled nowhere in the world for their industry, plodding away over the worst roads any civilized country possesses, he cannot but think, even looking at the question from the Chinese standpoint so far as he is able, that, were a free scope once given for the infusion of Western energy and methods into an active, trade-loving people like the Chinese, China would rival the United States in wealth and natural resources, the Chinese knows that his country, the natural resources of the country and the people, will allow him to do things on a scale which will by and by completely overbalance the doings of countries less favored by nature than his own. He knows that when properly developed his country will be one of the richest in the world, yet even when he is filled with such ideas he is just as punctative as he has ever been. He has the idea that he should not commence to exhaust the wealth of his country before it is absolutely necessary. Above all, he has now made up his mind that he himself, unaided by the foreigner, is going to develop it just as he likes and just when he likes. The day of the foreign concession is gone. The Chinese now is paddling his own canoe. And it is only by cultivating his friendship, by proving to him by acts, and not by words, that the intrusion of privileged enterprises such as great mining concessions and railway concessions, in which the foreigner demands that he be the only principal is no longer contemplated that the day will be won, but it is equally true that only by combining European and Chinese interests on the modern company system, the real opening of China can be effected, distances are as variable as the wind in the Middle Kingdom, the first 40 li on this journey were much shorter than the last 30, which took about twice as long to cover, I dragged along over the narrow path through the wheat fields, and, making for an old man, who looked as if he should know, I asked him the distance to my destination, his reply of twenty li I accepted as accurate, and I reckoned that I could cover this easily in a couple of hours, 
but at the end of this time we had, according to a casual wayfarer, five more lee, and when we had covered at least for another rustic said it was, to end a bit, this answer we got from four different people on the way, and I was glad when I had completed the journey, one does not mind the truly so much it is the pit which upsets one's calculations, the following day, on the road to Huanchiang, I lost myself that is, I lost my men, and did not know the road, I got away into some quaint, secluded garden and sat down, tired and hot, under a tree in the shade, where a faint wine swung the heavy foliage with a solemn sound, and the subdued and soothing music of a brook running between two banks of moss and turf must have sent me to sleep. It was with a dreary sense of ominous foreboding that I woke, as if in expectation of some disaster. Not a living creature was visible, and I doubted the possibility of finding anyone in such a spot. Never, surely, was there a silence anywhere as here. Seized with a solemn fear, my presence there seemed to me a strange intrusion. I looked around, moved forward a little, hastened my steps to get away, but whence or how I knew not. I knew this was a country of erratic distances it was now getting on for sunset and the continuous toiling up and down the sides of the difficult mountains had tired me. All of a sudden I heard a noise, heard someone fall, looked round and beheld tongue, perspiration pouring down his back and front. Oh, master, this bon velly much bobbery, I make e velly frightened, I think paps master want ye make e run away, and then, after a time, you know want ye catch chow? Chow? No. I could easily have gone without food for that night. I was lost. And now was found. I had no money. Could not speak the language. Was fatigued beyond words. What would have become of me? Miniature turret like hills hemmed us in as in a huge park. With a narrow winding pathway. Steep as the side of a house. Leading to the top of the mountain beyond. And then descending quite as rapidly to Fan Iach The coolies told me the next day the road would be worse, and so it turned out to be. At 5 o'clock a.m. a thick drizzly rain was falling, just sufficient to make the flagstones slippery as ice, and the European contrivances which covered my feet stood no chance at all compared with the straw sandals of the native. I could not get any big enough around here to put over my boots. My carriers had gone ahead, and as I was passing a paddy field one leg went from under me and I was up to my middle in thin wet mud, in this I had to trudge seven miles before I could get other garments from the coolie, changing my trousers behind a piece of matting held up in front of me by my boy, all enjoyed the fun except myself, little boys tried to peer around the side of the matting, and, as tongue tried to kick them away, the matting would drop and expose me to public view, but I had to change, and that was most important to me, later on, my ugly coolie the ugliest man in or out of China, I should think, ugly beyond description dropped my bedding as he was crossing the river, and I had the pleasure of sleeping on a wet bed at Tontail. I must ask the reader's pardon for again referring to Chinese inns, I should not have made any remark upon this awful hevel had not the man laid a scheme to charge me three times as much as he should a scheme, be it said, in which my boy took no part, it was truly a fearful den where man and beast lived in promiscuous and insupportable filth. The dung heap charms the sight of this agricultural people, without in the slightest wounding their olfactory nerves, and these utilitarians think there is no use seeking privacy to do what they regard as beneficial and productive work. The bed here was the worst I had had offered me. The mattress, upon which every previous traveler for many years had left his tribute of vermin, 
was not fit for use. There were myriads of filthy insects, and I found myself obliged to stop and have some cloves boiled, and for comfort's sake rubbed my body with Chinese wine. Filth there was everywhere. It seemed inseparable from the people, and a total apathy as regards matter in the wrong place pervaded all classes, from the highest to the lowest. The spring is opening, and my hard-worked coolies doff their heavy padded winter clothing, parade their naked skin, and are quite unconscious of any disgrace attending the exhibition of the itch sores which disfigure them. I remember, however, that I am in China, and must not be disgusted, and should any reader be disgusted at the disjointed character of this particular portion of my common chronicle, I would only say in apology that I am writing under the gaze of a mystified crowd each of whom has a word to say about my typewriter the first, undoubtedly, that he has ever seen. This machine has caused the greatest surprise all along the route, and it is on occasions when the Chinese sees for the first time things of this intimate mechanical nature that he gives one the impression that he is a little boy. The people crowd into my room, they cannot be kept out. Although at the present moment I have stationed my two soldiers in the doorway where I am writing, so as to get a little light to keep them from crowding actually upon me. It has been said that all of us have an innermost room, wherein we conceal our own secret affairs. In China everything is so open, and so much must be done in public, that it would surprise one to know that the Chinese have an inner room. The European traveler in this region must have no inner room, either, for the people seem to see down deep into one's very soul. But it is when one wanders on alone, as I have done today, doing today's in one, no less than 140 li of terrible road through the most isolated country, that one can enjoy the comfort of one's own loneliness and own inner room. The scenery was picturesque, much like Scotland, but the solitude was the best of all. I had left office and books and manuscripts, and was on a lonely walk, enjoying a solitude from which I could not escape, a reverie which was passed not nearly so much in thinking as in feeling a feeling to nature lovers which can never be completely expressed in words. It was indeed a refuge from the storms of life, and a veritable chamber of peace. And this, to my mind, is the way to spend a holiday. Robert Louis Stevenson tells us in one of his early books what a complete world to congenial friends make for themselves in the midst of a foreign population, all the hum and the stir goes on, and these two strangers exchange glances and are filled with an infinite content some of us would rather be alone, perhaps, for on a trip such as I am making now, in order to be happy with a companion you must have one who is thoroughly congenial and sympathetic, one who understands your unspoken thought, who is willing to let you have your way on the concession of the same privilege, selfishness in the slightest degree should not enter in, but such a man is difficult to find, so I wander on alone, happy in my own solitude, here I have liberty, perfect liberty. I was stopped on my way to Lao Wayton at a small town called Puerto the first place of importance after having come into Yunnan. A few li before reaching this town, one of my men cut the large toe of his left foot on a sharp rock, lacerating the flesh to the bone. I attended to him as best I could on the road, paid him four days extra pay, and then had a bit of a row with him because he would not go back. He avowed that carrying for the foreigner was such a good thing that he feared leaving it. Upon entering Puerto, however, he fell in the roadway. A crowd gathered, a loud cry went up from the multitude, and in the consternation and confusion which ensued the people divided themselves into various sections, 
some rushed to proffer assistance to the fallen man this was done because I was about, he would have been left had a foreigner not been there, others gathered around me with outrageous adulation and seeming words of welcome, meanwhile, I thought the coolie was dying, and, fearful and unnatural as it seems, it is nevertheless true that at all ages the Chinese find a peculiar and awful satisfaction in watching the agonies of the dying, by far the larger part of the mob was watching him dying, as they thought, but remember he was still word of many dead men, he slowly opened his eyes, smiled, rose up, and immediately recognized a poor manacled wretch, then passing under escort of several soldiers, who stopped a little farther down, followed by a mandarin in a chair, on this particular day, more than a customary morbid diversion was thus apparent among the motley garbed mass of men and women, and the ignominious way in which that prisoner was treated was horrible to look upon, the perpetual hum of voices sounded like the noise made by a thousand swarming bees, the band of soldiers guarding the prisoner suddenly halted, whilst the mandarin conferred with the chief, after which he advanced slowly towards me, I was on the point of telling him in English that I had done nothing against the law, so far as I knew, he bowed solemnly, during which time I attempting the same, had much trouble from bursting out laughing in his face, he beckoned to me, and then rushed me bodily into a house, where, in the best room, I found another official and his two sons, Tung followed as interpreter, the Mandarin explained that I was wanted to stay the night, that a theatrical entertainment had been arranged particularly for my benefit, that he wished I would take their photographs, that one of them would like a cigarette tin with some cigarettes in it, and that one of them would like to sell me a thoroughbred, hard-working, magnificently shaped, without a single vice black pony, which they would part with for my benefit for the consideration of one hundred tails down four times its value, which awaited my inspection without, I stood up and fronted them, and replied, through tongue, that I could not stay the night, that I would be pleased to tolerate the howling of the theater for one half of an hour, that it would have given me the greatest pleasure to take their photographs, but, alas, my films were not many, I handed them a cigarette tin, but quite forgot that they asked for cigarettes as well I had done, and I explained that horse riding was not one of my accomplishments, so that their quadruped would be of no use to me, they looked glum, I smiled serenely, this is Chinesey, chapter VIII sec 1 and Yuan Man, coolies and their loads, exports and imports, hints to English exporters, food at famine rates, a wretched in at Wu Chai, author prevents murder, sleeping in the rain, the foreign cigarette trade, poverty of Zhao Tung, simplicity of life, possible advantages of Chinese in struggle of yellow and white races, foreign goods in Yuan Man and Sichuan, thousands of beggars die, supposed line poisoning, content of the people, opium not grown, prices of prepared drug in Tong Shuan Fu compared, smuggling from Kuei Chow, opium and tin of Yuan Man, remarkable bonfire at Yuan Man Fu, infanticide at Zhao Tung, Selling of female children into slavery. Author's horse steps on human skull. Word a woman informed. Small observance would be necessary to detect the borderline of Sichuan and Yuan Man. The latter is supposed to be one of the most ill-nurtured and desolate provinces of the empire. Mountainous. Void of cultivation when compared with Sichuan. One mass of high hills conditioned now as nature made them, and the people, too, ashamed of their own wretchedness, are ill-fed and ill-clad. The greater part of the roads to be traversed now were constructed on projecting slopes above rivers and torrents, 
affluence of the Yangtze, and cross a region upon which the troubled appearance of the mountains that bristle over it stamps the impress of a severe kind of beauty. Such roads would not be tolerated in any country but China I doubt if any but the ancient Chinese could have had the patience to build them. One could not walk with comfort, it was an impossible task. Far away over the earth, winding into all the natural trends of the mountain base, ran the highway, barely tripping over huge boulders, into hollows and out of them, almost underground, but always, with its long white extended finger, beckoning me on by the narrow ribbon in the distance. True. Although I was absolutely destitute of company, I had always the road with me, yet ever far from me. I could not catch it up, and sometimes, dreaming triumphantly that I had now come even with it where it seemed to end in some disordered stony mass, it would trip mischievously out again into view, bounding away into some tricky bend far down to the edge of the river, and rounding out of sight once more until the point of vantage was attained. It's twisting and turning, up and down inwards, outwards, made humor for the full long day, with it I could not quarrel, for it did its best to help me with my weary men onwards over the now darkened landscape, and ever took the lead to urge us forward, if it came to a great upstanding mountain, with marked politeness it ran round by a circuitous route, more easily if of greater length, at other times it scaled clear up, nimbly and straight, turning not once to us in its self-appointed task, and at the top, standing like some fairy on a steeple point, beckoned us on encouragingly, at times it became exhausted and stretched itself wearisomely out, measuring in width to only a few small inches, and overlooked the river at great height, telling us to ponder well our footsteps ere we go forward, to part company with the road would mean to die, for elsewhere was no foothold possible, so in this narrow faithful ledge, torn up by the heavy tread of countless horses feet beyond Lao Wait on where horse traffic starts, we carefully ordered every step, looking down, sheer down as from some lofty palace window, I saw the green snake waiting, waiting for me, slipping, there would be no hope death in the river alone lay down that treacherous mountainside, and then, at times, pursuing that white-faced wriggling demon which stretched out far over the mist-swept landscape in incessant writhing and annoying contortions, we quite gave up the chase, it seemed leading me on to some unknown destiny, I knew not whither, only this I knew that I must follow, and so each hour and every hour was fraught with peril which seemed imminent, but he who guards the fatherless and helpless, feeds the poor and friendless, guarded the traveler in those days, mishaps I had none and when at night I reached those tiny mountain seats, perched majestically high for the most part and swept by all the winds of heaven, I seemed to be the lonely spectator and companionless watcher over mighty mountain tops, which appeared every moment to be hesitating to take a gigantic dive into the roaring river several hundred feet below our lofty resting place. Some of the larger villages had the arrogant look of old feudal fortress, 